Thank you for listening to the Cross Loganville podcast as we continue in our series, 29, the book of Acts. Good morning. It's a great day to worship, celebrate the goodness of God. Come on. Amen. Amen. How many of y'all are coming tonight? Mac Powell, still got a few tickets left and uh, it's going to be a great night of worship. Nick Slade, he will be here all day. He's been here since probably 645 and they're going to rehearse and do everything they do. But give it up for Nick and these guys, man, for the amount of time and energy. Yep, they put into it. It's going to be a great, great evening. Hey, if you're visiting, welcome to the Cross Loganville. I'm Tim Cash, lead pastor here. And uh, the easiest way to kind of access who we are and unwrap who we are is through our website, thecrossloganville.org. You'll go there, you'll find uh, immediately on the startup page a connect card, guest card. If you would fill that out, we'll send you information on who we are as a church. Take advantage of that. All of our previous sermons uploaded there, Version Bible app, bam, click that link. All of our uh, weekly sermons are uploaded every week there. You can follow along, make notes. Great, great tool to use. Uh, make sure you've got that downloaded on your phone, as well as our Give app. Our people, just your faithfulness and generosity to the Lord is such a beautiful thing. Thank you for investing in kingdom work here at the Cross Loganville. We are in this thing together, right? It's a beautiful thing. We're in a series that we've titled 29. There's 28 chapters in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is the action of the Holy Spirit working through uh, those first century believers and uh, we title it 29 because we believe God is wanting to write a new story today through your life as you yield to the Lord, a story that has never been written, a story for his glory and for the good of others. And uh, I pray that you're stepping into that. I pray that you're experiencing that in your life right now, that God is, uh, is arousing in you and awakening in you uh, the desire to be used by him, for him to write a new story to impact others for the goodness of of the gospel. And so uh, let's pray it up, and we're going to dive into Acts 22 here today. Father, I pray that our hearts would be open to the transforming work of the Holy Spirit. For those in this room here, for those watching online, I pray, Father, that you would use this time, Lord, in each of our lives, Father, to challenge us and to grow us and to stretch us in our dependence on you. Have your way, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Our kind of catch line here, our phrase around the cross, is that your story matters. And you'll see people wearing shirts, you'll see in our lobby out there, a lot of the bracelets that says, your story matters. And, and, the, and the reason we believe that is because you've been created in the image of God. You are an image bearer of God. God has created you in his image, he has redeemed you through the blood of Christ. He was kind enough to pour out the Holy Spirit for us who believe. And we believe your, your story is, is so powerful. And you've got to be willing to step into that and share it with other people. I personally, I love listening to people share their story. Uh, if, if I meet you and go, hey, what's your story? I, I, I want to hear the peaks, the valleys, where you were, where you're at now, some of the dreams maybe you have for the future, uh, how you met Christ, what God is doing in your life. So when we, when we engage with people, we go, hey, man, what's your story? And I, and I personally believe that sharing our story is foundational for healthy relationships. 
I believe the more that we can enter into soul talk and, and really get to know another person and share what's truly alive inside of us and it's received by the other and we, we, we can share what's truly alive inside of us. And I mean, when we, when we do that kind of stuff, life starts to really happen, right? And, and, and not everyone in this room will, will write a book. Some of us in this room have never even read a book. Uh, but, but, but we're not going to write a book. Most of us in this room cannot solve the Rubik's Cube. Most of us in this room will never throw a, a baseball 100 miles an hour. Most of us in this room cannot run a 4-3-40. But all of us in this room can share our story. And no person is a better expert on your story other than God and yourself. <laughs> and, and your story is so powerful to be used by God. It, I'm convinced that the number one tool that God uses in evangelism is when a follower of Christ, a believer in Jesus, shares their personal faith story of how God has changed them. The cool thing about it is nobody can debate that story because it's your experience and it's true to you. And so I would encourage you to think about that, right? In Acts 22, what we read here is that Paul shares a basic testimony. Now, his audience happened to be a very hostile group of Jews there in Jerusalem, and they were making these accusations at Paul, like you're disrespecting God's law, and you're dishonoring the temple, and Paul goes, I'm going to share my story. And there's two times in the book of Acts that he shares his story, Acts 22 and also in Acts 26. But this is a very hostile group. Now, when you when you read Acts 22, back up, and let me give you just a couple of nuggets to consider out of Acts 20 and 21, all right? So backdrop is kind of important of where he's at and the situation he's in. If you go back uh, to 20 and 21, Paul has told this group that, hey, man, I got to get back to Jerusalem. A prophet by the name of Agabus says, don't do that. <laughs> he takes Paul's belt, ties him up with it, and he says, if you go back, man, they're going to tie you up and beat you up, and they're going to harass you. And Paul goes, I'm, I'm going back to Jerusalem. When he makes it back to Jerusalem, he uh, ends up interacting with James, who is the half-brother of Jesus. And James didn't come to faith in Jesus until after the resurrection. But he's telling James, and then he ends up telling some of the people within the church, man, y'all are not going to believe it. The gospel is spreading. Churches are being planted. And Jews... And Gentiles both are coming to faith in Christ. The ground at the foot of the cross is level for all people, black, white, yellow, green. It doesn't matter if they're Gentile, Samarian, Jew. Hey, man, the gospel is spreading. Now, while he's there, even at the temple, and he's sharing with these people these uh, great things that God's doing, Paul gets arrested, and he's brutally mistreated. Listen to this phrase in Acts 21, starting in verse 27. Some Jews saw Paul in the temple. They roused a mob against him. They grabbed him and began yelling, men of Israel, help us out. 
This man preaches against our people everywhere, tells everybody to disobey the Jewish laws. He speaks against the temple and defiles this holy place by bringing in Gentiles. They're making all these false accusations against Paul. The whole city was rocked by these accusations and a great riot followed. Paul was dragged out of the temple as they were trying to kill him. This is the group that Paul is about to speak to. And then the other observation I would share is that Paul said, hey, do I have permission to speak? And he's going to speak in Hebrew tongue. And we pick up Paul's uh, testimony and his uh, declaration of the faith in Acts 22. I'm going to use Eugene Peterson's uh, The Message translation here today because I love some of the imagery and terminology in Acts 22. Acts 22, beginning in verse 1, my dear brothers and fathers, listen carefully to what I have to say before you jump to conclusions about me. When they heard him speaking Hebrew, they grew even quieter, and no one wanted to miss a word. He goes, I'm a Jew born in Tarshish, but I was educated here in Jerusalem under the watchful eye of Rabbi Gamaliel. Thoroughly, I have been instructed in our religious traditions. And I've always been passionately on God's side, just as you are right now. I went after anyone connected with this Jesus way, ready to kill for God. I rounded up men and women, had them thrown in prison. You can ask the chief priest or anyone else in the high council to verify this. They all knew me well. Then I went off to our brothers in Damascus. I was armed with official documents to hunt down the followers of Jesus, arrest them, bring them back to Jerusalem for sentencing. And as I arrived on the outskirts of Damascus at about noon, a blinding light blazed out of the skies. I fell to the ground dazed, I heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I looked up and said, who are you, master? And he said, I am Jesus, the Nazarene, the one you're really hunting down. My companions saw the light, but they didn't hear the conversation. Then I said, what do I do now, master? And he said, get to your feet and enter Damascus. There you will be told everything that's been set out for you to do. Remember, this hostile crowd, this is who he's speaking to. He's sharing his story. You'll be told everything you're to do. So we entered Damascus. I was blind as a bat, and my companions had to lead me in by hand. That's when I met Ananias. I met Ananias, a man with an exceptional reputation in observing our laws. He came over to me, put his arm on my shoulder, and he said, look up. I looked and was staring straight in his eyes. I could see again. Then he said, the God of our ancestors has handpicked you to be briefed on his plan of action. You've actually seen the righteous, innocent one, and you've heard him speak. You're going to be a key witness to everyone you meet of what you've seen and what you've heard. So get up, get baptized, get scrubbed clean of those sins, and now personally get acquainted with God. 
After I was back in Jerusalem one day, I was praying in the temple, and I got lost in the presence of God, and I saw the righteous, innocent one, and I heard him say to me, hurry up, get out of here. None of the Jews here in Jerusalem are going to accept what you're saying about me. I heard him say, get up, man, and let's get moving. At first, I objected. Who has better credentials? They all know how obsessed I was with hunting out those who believed in you and beating them up in meeting places and throwing them in jail. And even when your witness Stephen was murdered, I was right there. I was holding the coats of the murderers and cheering them on. And now they see me totally converted. Who has and what better qualifications could a man have? But the Lord said, don't, don't argue with me. Go. I'm sending you to outsiders. I'm sending you to non-Jews. The people in the crowd had listened attentively up until this point, but now they broke loose shouting, kill him, stomp on him. They shook their fist and they filled the air with curses. That sounds like a godly thing to do. When you claim to be a follower of God, it appears to me that if anybody comes in sharing a message you don't agree with, the best thing to do is to curse them and shake your fist. That reveals that you really belong to God, doesn't it? But I'm reading through this, Steve, and I'm touched by this. When Paul began to emphatically emphasize here that the Jews will not listen, and I'm raising you up to take the message to Gentiles and non-Jews. All hell broke loose. It all broke loose. Now, let me share with you a few observations. I want you to think about this. I, I read a lot because that story is so powerful to me. And Paul emphasizes really just his testimony, who he was before Christ, how he met Christ, and what the Lord has called him to do. Paul initially starts out this whole thing by trying to reason with the people. You ever tried to reason with an unreasonable person? <laughs> I was telling Nick and our staff the other day, we were sitting there talking, Rick, we were having this conversation, and I said, have you ever just stopped and said, all right, Sandra, let's have a logical conversation. It implies that I am the logical one. <laughs> You ever been there? Just trying to have a logical conversation, a reasonable conversation. Paul was trying to have a reasonable conversation with unreasonable people. And he starts right out of the gate calling them brothers and fathers. And those are words of connection and those are words of affection. Hey guys, I, 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 I care about y'all. I love y'all. Because Paul would even write in the book of Romans that Man, I wish that I were accursed and separated from God for the sake of my brothers and fathers and kinsmen. I mean, I want y'all to know this Jesus that I'm talking about. And then he addresses the people in the Hebrew language. He talks to them in their language. He finds the common ground and he speaks based on who his audience is. And when you share your story and when you're dealing with people, you've got to look at what is the common ground and what is familiar terminology and how can I connect with this person. We need to talk in a way that people understand what we're talking about. 
And there's so many people that use phraseology and terminology at times, and it's like, dude, I don't even know what you're talking about. We need to be clear. We need to be concise, and we need to speak based on the audience that we're talking to because when words are many, the message can get lost. When, when words are too many and too jumbled up and we start to ramble, people go, time out, you're rambling, and give me the Reader's Digest or Give me something, bro. You've got to know your audience, and you've got to know what target you're shooting at. And Paul knew his audience, and he goes right at them, and he shares his testimony. Here's some observations. He starts with his credentials. He goes, here's my credentials. A Jew born in Tarsus, uh, all of this stuff. Read his biographical sketch, Philippians 3, those first seven verses, he lays out his biographical sketch, and what he's basically saying is this. If anyone ever had authority in saying what I'm about to say to you, I, I really do. But he took a posture of humility even as he spoke. Hey, guys, I understand Judaism. I was trained and raised up by Mr. Who's Who, Gamaliel. Nobody is sharper than he is. I've been a student of God and the law and truth forever. And then he shares his personal revelation of Jesus Christ on the Damascus Road. It's his God encounter. It's his salvation experience. You go, that is so good. Then he talks about his calling and the God-given ministry that God had placed on him. See, we can all do this. He talks about the opening of his eyes spiritually before it even happened again physically. Hey, my eyes got illuminated spiritually. I saw things when I met this Christ. That's the reason I just cried out, Master, who are you? Because <laughs> I don't know you. I've heard about you. I've had affiliation. There's so many people that have grown up in the church that have God awareness that don't have Jesus allegiance. They know terminology, but they don't know truth. He, he, he says, man, he told me to get baptized, which is this declaration of dying to self and becoming alive to the gospel. And then he says, man, the Holy Spirit was giving me guidance. Three key points. I want you to write these down, and I want you to implement what I'm talking about today. You can do it. I promise you, you can do it. Paul says, let me tell you who I was before I met Christ. Verses 1 through 5. I'm going to tell you where I was born. I'm going to tell you the training I received. I'm going to tell you about how passionate I was about my concept of God at that time. I'm going to tell you that I was vile. I'm going to tell you that my mission was to destroy. I'm going to tell you that I was a antagonistic person before I became an apologist of the gospel. I was a persecutor before I became a proclamator. Even in 1 Timothy, he goes, I was the chief of sinners. And all of us, Isaac had a past before we met Jesus. Paul never forgot his past, and he never excused his past. I hear people oftentimes share a testimony. It's almost like they're excusing who they were. Hey, when I was lost, I acted like I was lost. And we all have a past. I call it our BC days before conversion. 
We've all got that in our portfolio. I was 22 years old when I became a follower of Jesus Christ. But before that, the Lord said, do you not realize you're lost and you're a sinner and you're vile and you're hopeless and you're helpless and you're selfish and, oh, okay, maybe you didn't kill anybody or applaud the killing like Paul, but you abused and misused and mistreated and violated so many people. Tim, you're as guilty of sin as any person that's ever walked the planet. Yes, Hitler, Dahmer, Stalin, name them, you're vile. Me. We've all got a past, and Paul talks about his past, and what happened in that past that I was living in, it kept me from knowing God, and it kept me from loving God, and it kept me from serving God, and it kept me hopeless. I was lost. And Paul goes, I'm just like y'all were. And he's implying, y'all realize y'all are lost? Y'all realize that y'all are incomplete? You realize you've got some religion, but you don't have a relationship with God? And then he lays out, Here's how I came to faith. In this life-changing encounter that he lays out, going down the Damascus Road, blinded. And, and, and don't, don't, don't miss this. Please don't. Paul emphasizes that Jesus came looking for him, not vice versa. I've had people over the years just in interaction with them, and, and, and they will tell me, brother, I found the Lord. Really? Where was he? How lost was he when you found him? If you found him, then you did the saving. You didn't find the Lord. You were lost. You were hopeless. You were helpless. You were confused. You had no direction he found you. He pursued you. And we better get our terminology right there. I remember back in that summer of 1985 when my buddy Jeff came to faith in Christ and my dad had come to faith in 1984 and there were so many things going on in my life and I felt like God was saying, hey, I am pursuing you. You are running from me. I, I love you. I care about you. I want to give you life. I want to offer you salvation and forgiveness. I want you to know, Tim, I died for you and your sin. I have been raised from the dead. I'm seated at the right hand of the Father. I'm pursuing you. And I could hear the Lord almost asking me during that time, Tim, will you believe me? Will you trust me? Will you surrender to me? Tim, do you believe this? Aren't you tired of running? Aren't you tired of just wallowing in waste? Aren't you tired of living lost? And I fell to my knees in October of 85, and I said, yes, I believe. I believe. I want this. I, I got to have it. I I'm, I'm sick of being sick, and I'm tired of being stuck, and and. Groundhog Day over and over. I'm not going to cuss anymore and drink anymore and raise hell anymore if you'll just let me get home without getting a DUI. <laughs> and bam, back at it. The cycle. Oh, do you believe? I believe. 
See, every one of us, if we've come to faith in Christ, we've got this before, then we've got this encounter. Then we should have this life change story because salvation is, is only the introduction, Neil. Come on. And, and so salvation is the introduction, right? It is the introduction. We're then to walk in this sanctified state where God has sanctified us and set us apart for the gospel. And when Paul lays it out, he goes, do you not realize that God was leading me to take the gospel to these non-Jews and these Gentiles? And God told me, I will face danger. I will face opposition. I will be mistreated. I will be attacked. But the Lord said, I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to continue to use you in a powerful way. And if you've come to faith in Christ, and you've been walking with Jesus for any period of time, you know that salvation was just the door that you walked into this big room of his grace and mercy to walk with him. And God is saying, are you willing to share me with your world? Will you share your story? Take it away, Neil. <laughs> Listen, this public speaking gig is not my sweet spot. <laughs> so I'm going to do my best. Is it on? Thank you. So this scares the daylights out of me. <laughs> <laughs> So I was born in the island of Trinidad into a half-Hindu home. I say half-Hindu because my mom accepted Christ as her savior and was baptized as a young girl, unbeknown to her parents and my dad. We lived in the central part of the island, and living in that area meant attending a Hindu school. My dad was killed in an automobile accident when I was six years old. I was the oldest of four. My youngest sister was only six days old. Shortly after my dad passed, we'd moved to the southern part of the island so we could be closer to my grandparents. Moving to the south allowed us to attend the same Presbyterian school my mom would attend. I believe this is where I had some biblical formation. I never accepted Christ as my savior, but only went through the motions. Mom kept me involved in sports to keep me from getting into trouble or hanging with the wrong crowds. In the mid-80s, we'd moved to Canada in hopes of a better life. <clears throat> All of my mom's siblings lived there. I attended college, studied martial arts, and, many other, and made a, a lot of new friends. I always had a passion for fast cars and bikes. I got involved in drag racing and into street racing. Our family didn't really like it there. The summers were short. I hated shoveling snow or even ice hockey things we just didn't do in the islands. <laughs> Several years later, we'd move again, and this time to New York, where my dad's sister lived. And somehow this lifestyle kept following me around. I found another group of street racers that will actually do illegal street racing at that time. I was a lost boy in search of significance. I got a job at a garage with some bikers, and we became really good friends. They were tough, always looking out for each other, people that no one messed around with, sometimes even the cops. They always had your back. It was not unusual to get into bar fights or to have a beer at 7 a.m. if you were at an event. I rode with them and started drinking a lot and hanging out in bars. I'd meet Lee, 
fell in love and would eventually get married. I knew my lifestyle had to change. How could I continue to live like this and stay married or be a good husband or even one day raise kids? Shortly after we got married, Lee's mom had moved to Georgia. Lee and I would visit often, and we really liked it here. We decided to move to Georgia in 97. I got a job on Shalford Road and started working with some more bikers and guys who enjoyed hanging out and drinking at bars. It seems like I kept going down the same road. It seems like I couldn't get rid of my friends Jack and Bud and the other guys. <clears throat> See, all my earlier years, I would say I would never touch alcohol. I've seen the destruction firsthand of what it caused, starting with my grandfather and my uncles and their children. I was becoming that same man I despised. My mom and Lee would attend a church close to where we lived, and they'd always invite me. I always had excuses as to why I couldn't attend. It was always yard work. See, Mom and Lee would pray that the Lord would turn my heart of stone to a heart of flesh. And like Paul, I had an encounter with Jesus. The next morning, I would fall on my face and cry out to the Lord. I was a broken man. And I said, Lord, I've been running from you for a long time. And he'd say to me, I was pursuing you even longer. I remember the story of Jesus leaving the 99 to find a one lost sheep. I was that lost sheep. I surrendered my life to Christ in the spring of 98 and was baptized. And from that moment on, my life would not be the same. God started doing a work in me. He removed people in so many selfish ways I had. He started cleaning up my foul mouth, my thoughts, even alcohol. He taught me how to be a chain breaker and tear down walls and strongholds that I had put up. He had me quit a job and step out in faith to start a business. He's blessed me with three beautiful children and an amazing son-in-law and a beautiful granddaughter. And he gives me a desire to be in his word daily and to serve others. And not just to read his word, but to live it. He's given me a desire to walk with other men while having others disciple me. He's led us to this church that are now part of our family. And it's the most beautiful thing when we get to do life together. He's teaching me how to be a better husband, a dad, a friend, and a steward. So thank you, church, for allowing me the opportunity to share my story. And, Lord, I give you all the glory for this. You know, what's interesting, <clears throat> like reading ahead, like where, where are we going in the book of Acts? And uh, so over two weeks ago, I called Neil and I said, hey man, I've been praying, praying for a couple of days through this, like who is supposed to share their testimony? He's like, <sighs> I could hear him breathing on the other side of the phone. <laughs> and I said, Neil, I feel like the Lord wants you to share your story. And I know you got these mind monsters about being in front of a group of people because they say the number one fear that people have is public speaking. And I said, so I'm not asking you to pray about it. I'm just telling you, me and you do it a service on. He goes, and there's silence for like 30 seconds, right? And I said, hey, you're going to be fine. Nobody in this uh, church has got more trust, respect, 
and credibility than Neil does. And when you hear, everybody's story matters. When you hear the kindness of God that would take a dude from the islands of Trinidad, drop him off in the tundra of frigid Calgary, Alberta, then move him to New York, and then bring him to Georgia to get his heart right with his God. And the radical transformation and change that's happened in that brother over the last 24 years is amazing. I don't have a closer brother on this planet that I do life with. I don't have a person I trust any more than Neil. And for him to walk with people is sincere in his heart. Hey, man, I'm going to Noonan at 5. I got to go see Daddy. I'm going with you. And we made that trip so many times, and I'm like, you sure? I'm good. I'm going with you. And it doesn't matter what we walk through. We benefit from having Christ-centered, godly people walk with us. I am not above needing support and a shoulder to lean on. You follow me? And I praise God that Neil stepped out and said, all right, I'm in. Let me share with you some observations as we wrap up our time this morning. There is so much value in sharing your personal testimony. There's so much value in it. First, I would tell you, sharing your personal story is biblical. Again, Paul shares it here in Acts 22. He will also share it in Acts 26. But it is a biblical thing to do. And if you've never, just hear me on this, if you've never been to our church on a Monday night or a Thursday night to a recovery group, it would do you some good. Because you will hear broken people some are wounded still, but you will hear broken people share their story. There's no judgment. There's no criticism of their story. They share their story because there's power in being, Neil talked about being a chain breaker. There's power in seeing the chains broken when you're able to express your story. And when you share what's truly alive in your heart, as I said before, with another, and they receive that with no condemnation and judgment, you go, there's also value in sharing your personal testimony because it's authentic. How you came to know the Lord is unique, and it carries conviction to those that hear. After the first service, multiple people came up to Neil and said, I've never done that. I've never shared in front of a group before. Thank you for doing that today. And when you share your personal story, there's going to be things that you talk about in your story that allow you to form connection with other people. But there's going to be things that God uses in your story when you talk about your life that the Holy Spirit uses to bring conviction in other people. So when you share from your heart what God has done in your life, you're sharing an original, authentic story. No two people in this room have the same story. I will tell you this. Not only is it biblical and authentic, but it is also very effective. 
People who may never go to church, who's gotten burnt by church, mad at church, will oftentimes sit there and listen to you share your personal story. People that haven't been to church in years. People that have zero God affiliation. When you share your story, it is so effective because you know as well as I know that you may be the only Bible some people pick up and read all year. You may be the only light in their life right now with all the chaos and confusion they're going through. So when you're able to step into that space, there is so much value. The other thing I would tell you is when you share your story, it is much needed. People are hopeless. People are helpless. People are lost and confused. And today people are searching for answers. They're searching for meaning. And so when you share it, you're sharing a much needed story. So it's very biblical when you share. You're sharing a very authentic piece of who you are with someone. And I promise you, you can do it. You can do it. Every person under my voice. I would also tell you not only is there value in sharing your testimony, there's tremendous value in preparing your testimony. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says, Sanctify Christ as Lord in your life. And then it goes on to say this, Always be ready and prepared to give an answer to everyone who would ask you for the reason for the hope that you have within you. Sanctify Christ as Lord. Always be ready. Always be prepared. So I would tell you this, just as your pastor and friend, when we think about sharing our story and the importance of preparing our story, we are commanded to do this. We're commanded in Matthew 28. Go into all the world, make disciples. We're commanded to do it. But even as Peter writes, he goes, hey, I just want you to be ready. I want you to be prepared. Why? It's a command from God. Champions are never made in the arena. They're just revealed there. All of the preparation and time that it takes, go, man, can you believe they won the championship? Uh, can you believe all the preparation and hours that they went through? It's been said the will to win is important, but the will to prepare is essential. And so preparation, God oftentimes uses that to open up the door. I can tell you it's a command. Hey, just be ready. Just be ready. The second thing I, I would tell you is it's essential. It, it, it is essential because God is going to open up a door for you to share the hope that is within you sometime in the next hours, in the next week. And you're sitting there reasoning with someone, and it's like, hey, how are you doing? What's going on? And God is saying, hey, man, speak life into this situation. There's confusion. There's chaos. It's essential. It is absolutely essential that we be ready. Hey, man, I just want to, when I'm given the opportunity to take the ball, I want the ball. I, I want to go out and compete. Another thing, when you share your story, and the reason it's so important to prepare it, I can tell you it's reliable. It's going to allow you to rely on the Lord, to stay focused on the Lord instead of focusing on you. Think about that. A testimony is reliable. 
You don't have to know all the Greek, all the Hebrew. You don't have to know eschatology, study of end times. You don't have to know apologetics and all the fine points of what that means. You go, I, I, I can share this because it's my story and it's reliable and it's trustworthy. Like I said before, nobody knows your story and is more of an expert on your story than you and the Lord. So why don't you share your story? And then I would tell you when you prepare your testimony, be concise. When you write it out the way Neil did, he's like, I'm going to write it out. And I'm going to get to that point on the power of writing it out. But when you write it out, you stay concise. You stay pointed. You don't ramble. You don't get boring. You don't get too lengthy. You're like, bam, I know where I'm going. Right? If you're going to take a trip, what are you going to do? You're, you're going to figure out where is the destination that I'm traveling. So if once you determine your destination, then what are you going to say? Well, where am I now going to start from? Well, if I'm going to Destin, Florida, I'm going to plug in Destin, Florida. But then it's going to say, where are you starting from? I'm starting from here. It's going to help me stay on course of where I'm going if you trust Waze or Google Maps or whatever it is. Where are, you, where are you trying to go with this? Well, here's where I want to go with my story. Then it keeps you pointed. You're not going to ramble. So I would tell you, and, and I want every one of you doing this. I had to learn to do this. Take the time to write out your testimony. And when you, when you go into that, just spend some time in prayer. And say, God, would you give me wisdom and guidance as I write this out? James 1 says, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask God. God, would you bring to my mind things that I need to focus on as I talk about your deliverance and salvation in my life? And the three simple points is who I was before Christ, how I met Christ, and how the Lord is transforming me even right now. I remember when I first got saved, the following year in 1986, I go to this conference. It's called PAO, Professional Athletes Outreach. I go to this conference, and they're like, all right, Saturday afternoon, we're going to leave. And Cash, you're, you're in this group right here, and y'all are going to this prison in Fort Lauderdale, Miami. I'm like, prison? And you're going to share your testimony. Really? I'm going in here with a bunch of inmates. I don't even know what that would look like you're going to share your testimony we want you to work on your testimony right now you're going to share a three-minute testimony write some things out who you were before christ how you met christ and how christ is changing you you're going to go in there and you're going to share your testimony three minutes wow how can i speak that long <laughs> write it out who you were before christ how you met christ how he's changed your life. And so as Neil and I even talked through this, it's like start with the end in mind. Your destination will determine your preparation. Where do you really want to go with this? If you're traveling to Anchorage, Alaska in mid-January, do not pack a Speedo. <laughs> but if you're going to Destin, Florida in July, Drew, do not pack a Speedo, <laughs> but pack 
accordingly. When Neil and these guys came back off of this mission trip about four or five years ago, Neil and a few other guys were going to talk about this mission they had to Mexico. And we're in the Connect Center back here. It's like 8.50. We're getting ready to start at 9. And I look at my brother, and I'm like, you ready to roll? Oh, man. I don't like public speaking. You're going to do it anyway, Neil. You, you got to do it. I don't even know exactly where to go. I said, start with a destination in mind. Where are you wanting to go ultimately with this thought? And I said, what you do is you always pack according to the trip. So when I talked to Neil two weeks ago, he said, brother, and we haven't brought this up in like four years. I said, Neil, I want you to share your testimony. And you know what he said? Would you help me pack my bag? I had people help me pack my bag. How do I do this? I'm scared. All of us are scared until you do it. And then once you do it, you go, okay, now when you write out and share your testimony, Rick, this is so crucial here based on some of your marinade. Emphasize the difference that Jesus has really made in your life, but please be realistic. Let me tell you what I mean by that. He does not always rescue you from your problem and pain but he will give you if you trust him the strength to walk through it i have heard people share testimonies as if when they came to christ they received this divine immunization that they're now free from pain and problems and turmoil doesn't happen that way right I was living like hell, and I was doing this, and I met Jesus, and now everything's great. And I'm like, what Jesus did you meet? Because Jesus' life was not great, based on our terminology. Rejection, eventually dying, a criminal's death. Be realistic, but you can write it out. The next thing I would tell you is include the gospel when you go out and share your testimony. What I mean by that is include things like God really does love you and he's for you. Include the fact that we're all born into the world diseased in sin, dead in sin. Emphasize that Jesus Christ died for me and I came to that realization but emphasize that it is through personal repentance and faith in Jesus that I enter into that relationship with him. Now, I can promise you every one of us has a starting place where we start doing it. I started going out as a brand new believer, and they're like, we're going to do this baseball camp. And you're going to share your testimony one day, okay? And then you're going to present the gospel the next day. So we're, we want you to talk about your life. So I remember way back, this is in the late 80s, I would start my testimony. I know it. Hey, in June of 1984, my childhood dream became a reality. Growing up as a young boy, I worshipped baseball. 
And my dad, man, he coached me, and my dad allowed me to be exposed to this game. And in June of 1984, after Little League, high school, college, I'm shortening it, I signed a professional contract with the Houston Astros. That was my childhood dream. But then I shifted. But as a young man, at the age of 13, my uncle introduced me to porn. And at the age of 14, my best friend spending the night brought an eight-pack of Miller Ponies. And I got introduced right out of the gate to porn and to alcohol. And those things had a stronghold on my life through high school and through college. And I was miserable. It was in October of 85 that I came to faith in Jesus Christ. I cried out. I came to realize, and I laid out this story. And now that story has blossomed over the years, but every one of us can share our story. Where do you want to go with it? Christ saved me. Christ changed me. Tim, share your testimony. Okay. Now, to, today, you shared your testimony yesterday, but today you're going to present the gospel. I'm like, okay. But these kids are 10, 11, and 12 years old at this baseball camp. Present the gospel. Okay? But how do I do that? Well, what are you, what are you teaching them? We're teaching them the fundamentals of baseball. Then teach them the fundamentals of the faith using baseball. Hey, guys, how many of y'all like to hit? Yes, I like to hit. Well, if you're standing in the batter's box holding a bat and you're getting ready to hit and the pitcher's getting ready to throw the ball, standing in the batter's box of life represents God loves me and God is for me. Y'all believe that? God loves you so much. Yes, I believe that. Man, I swing, I hit. What's the first base I got to run to? Yeah, you got to run to first. If I'm going to get to first base in the game of life, oh, I got to realize that I am a sinner that all have sinned and jacked it up and fall short of the glory of God. Lied, stole, cheated, had impure thoughts. Anybody like that? Yes. Guys, we're on first base. Now we want to go to second, right? Because our ultimate aim is to score. We want to score in life. So to get to second base, what do I need to realize? I need to realize that the wages for my sin, the price I pay for my sin, is death. I'm going to have to die one day. And so will you because of sin. Man, God loves us. We've jacked it up. But to get to second base, I've got to realize I'm a sinner. Y'all believe that? Yes. Now, we want to go to third base, right? If we can get to third, we can get close to scoring. Yes, I want to go to third. So, hey, in order to get to third, we have to believe this, that God demonstrates his love for us. Even though we were sinners, Jesus died for us. Man, Jesus, some 2,000 years ago, bam, you lay out the gospel. Do y'all do, do believe that? Yes. How many of y'all have ever been on third base in a game and the third out was made and you didn't score? Ever been there? Yes, I have too. You know how you score in the game of life? It says, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. It says, if I will believe with my my, uh, believe in my heart and confess with my mouth I can be saved hey do you all want a relationship with Jesus man are you willing to believe he loves you but yet you've got a sin problem Christ has died for that sin if you'll confess him and receive him yes Tim what did I just do I just took the gospel and shared it with the audience that I was speaking to how do you remember that because I 
did it a first time and a second time and a tenth time just share the gospel and what would I do when I shared it here's another piece of it I would include a few Bible verses along the way I might include like I just did there in the presentation of the gospel some verses out of Romans but I may say I came to the realization man that it's by grace I've been saved and it's through faith it's not of myself I couldn't do anything to boast or work for it Romans 8 31 I came to realize if God's really for me who can be against me there's verses that you've got there include them in the story write out your testimony I don't know if I've shared this with you write out your testimony And then after you write out your testimony, a great thing to do in your small group or with some of these come-to-the-table groups that we have is for you to say, do you all mind if I share my testimony? And you practice it with believers, getting the confidence to share it with non-believers. I, I, I can pretty much bet you that when you share your testimony, the hostility that Paul faced will probably not be the same for you. And when Paul says, not only am I willing to go to Jerusalem to be imprisoned, I'm willing to die for this gospel. You can share your story. Sandra, you do it at work all the time. You do it wherever you're at all the time. Just, hey Lord. Neil, you do it all the time at the shop. You just never stood in front of a group and did it, but you do it all the time. And it's like, I want to sanctify Christ as Lord in my heart. And I want to always be ready and prepared to anyone who may ask me to share the hope that I have inside of me. I want to do that because I feel like that matters you might not make it to Cooperstown Tim but you're a citizen of heaven and you might teach them how to play but if you don't teach them how to live what have you left them with that's where I landed let's go share our faith Let's take a risk. Let's get yanked out of our comfort zone. Let's face the unknown. And let's really trust God to do exceedingly abundantly above anything we can ask or think. This is as bottom shelf simple as I know how to share it. But I promise you, it's changed my life. It's changed my life. So, the good news, you don't have to write a book. You don't have to solve the Rubik's Cube. But you need to go share your story.